The Truth News Network. A toddler slips through the fence and the Secret Service shuts down the White House. When, seriously, did the leader of the free world begin to fear three-year-olds? More to the point, is this going to become a trend? Well, Mark Twain did say that diapers and politicians should be changed frequently and for the same reasons, so I'm guessing there's a point of commonality with the Oval Office. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And unlike others, you can believe what comes from our leader, Dan Newman. I'm not sure, but I... I'm not uh, clear that there's been another president that has to have his depends changed for him. Good morning, everybody. Now, don't get mad at Dan for saying something like that. It is a fact. In fact, we watched a video where Joe Biden was walking from the White House to Marine One, and his depends was showing out the back, and his wife, Dr. Jill was trying to help him get it covered up so the cameras couldn't see it. Listen, that's not derogatory. It's factual. Those kind of things happen to all of us. We're all going to get old. Hopefully we're all going to get old. President Biden, he's in his 80s. He's earned the right as a dad, a husband, Uh, a member of Congress for so many years, he's earned the right to need to wear Depends. Now, what does that mean? Where are we going this morning? (laughs) Well, we're going a lot of different places. Don't forget, it's Tuesday, our second hour today. Steve Baker will join us from Points Unknown. I have no idea what zip code he's in, but he's going to be with us at the top of our second hour, 10 o'clock Central, and we're going to break down a lot of stuff. We have... Some amazing things going on in our nation. Some of them good, some of them bad. Chicago, once again, is the epicenter of shootings and killings. We're going to weigh into that story just a couple of weeks after they swear in their new mayor. 53 Chicagoans shot over the weekend. 12 of them died. How could that be happening? How could that be happening? in any city in the United States, even Chicago. Well, it did. Then we have our debt limit debacle. It looks like there may be some hope, but when you just think everything's okay and they agreed and got it all put together, you're going to find out as we weigh into this story today, it's not done. It's not over. And that means it ain't real good, folks. Our government is still squeaking along on three wheels. Can't get the fourth one on the ground. Wow. And in just a moment, you're going to hear Dan weigh in on first thoughts. But first, here's Michael. No more running down the wrong road. Dancing to a different drug. Can't you see what's going on? You're holding the key when you believe it. Change. 
Anyway, welcome back to TNN Live. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend yesterday. Memorial Day is always a great day. That's when we get together and we think about all of those, the men and women throughout the history of the United States of America, even before it was the United States of America. Yeah, we had a a war. We had to fight for our independence. Revolutionary War, and men and women died in that war. We honor all of them, the ultimate sacrifice. Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for a friend. That's straight from the Word of God. That's not Dan. But speaking of Dan... Dan Newman, First Thoughts. Well, we'll start our week together. We didn't have a TNN Live yesterday, Monday, Memorial Day, but we're going to start the day, the week together. And we're going to talk about something that is just hanging around out there that a lot of people don't like to talk about. A conspiracy, it is, between a corrupt set of bureaucracies. Now, which ones are you talking about, Dan? Well, that includes the Department of Justice, the IRS, and every one of the 16, 17, 18 intelligence communities that we have, we don't even know who they all are. And an equally corrupt and enabling elite media. You put all that together, it's astonishing what's going on. The Durham report is just one more confirmation of this devastating level of dishonesty 
and manipulation which have characterized the last few years. Can I say the last few years or just change it to the Biden administration? Some analysts, they believe the open corruption can be traced all the way back to Lois Lerner and the IRS scandal. Remember that one? She was the big kahuna there that worked on approval of not-for-profit status for not-for-profit entities. She clearly stonewalled conservative organizations from getting tax status. When she was found to be in contempt of Congress, what happened? The Obama Justice Department, they spent two years ignoring the congressional contempt charge against her. And then, of course, they decided, nah, we're going to let her slide. No prosecution here. As Congressman Jim Jordan said back then, U.S. Attorney Ronald Machen was using his power as a political weapon to undermine the rule of law. Jordan went on and said, Mr. Machen unilaterally decided to ignore the will of the House of Representatives. He and the Justice Department have given Lois Lerner cover for her failure to account for her actions at the IRS. The signal has been sent that protecting the left, protecting the left, would itself be protected. This lesson was reinforced in the cover-up about the terrorist attack at Benghazi. Remember that? The Obama administration, what difference does it make? Remember Hillary before Congress screaming that? What difference does it make? The Obama administration was worried that the killing of an American ambassador, despite his consistent appeals to the State Department for more security, would hurt the president's re-election campaign. So what they do? They adopted a strategy of simply lying to the American people. This began the week of the attack when the administration did everything it could to avoid any responsibility for a terrorist killing of Ambassador Christopher Stevens. In fact, the Obama White House immediately sent former U.N. Ambassador Susan Rice on five network shows that Sunday, one day. And when she went on those shows, every one of them, she blamed an American-made anti-Muslim video for causing this unrest in Benghazi. It was exactly what Ambassador Jean Kirkpatrick had warned against in her famous Blame America First description of liberals. We now know that the entire story was a lie. And no one in Benghazi was motivated by a film they'd never seen. When then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton testified before Congress, she dismissed the whole question of any responsibility for the failure to protect Ambassador Stevens. She even failed to be honest about his murder, famously saying, with due respect, the fact is we had four dead Americans. Was it because of a protest or was it because of guys out for a walk one night who decided that they'd go kill some Americans? What difference at this point does it make? The leftist in the national bureaucracies learned a big lesson from Lerner and Clinton. Whatever you need to do to defeat the right or to protect the left, 
It's okay. Anything goes. You feel you need to do it, just go ahead. We got your back. You can get away with it, too. There's no responsibility for actions if you are protecting the corrupt system. That lesson was publicly driven home in late June of 2016 when Bill Clinton walked uninvited onto the airplane of Attorney General Loretta Lynch at the Phoenix airport. At that time, the FBI was investigating the former president's wife, and by the way, she was Democratic presidential candidate at the time. The FBI was looking at Hillary for a variety of charges, including deleting more than 33,000 government emails and having her staff destroy computer hard drives with a hammer. It's hard to imagine anything more inappropriate than a former president visiting an attorney general while his wife and presidential candidate was being actively investigated at the time by the FBI. As then-candidate Donald Trump said in a tweet, quote, take a look at what happened with Bill Clinton. The system is totally rigged. Does anybody really believe that meeting was just a coincidence? We now know from the Durham report and the reports from Chairman James Comer and the House Oversight Committee that candidate and then President Trump has been consistently smeared and defamed by corrupt elements of the Washington bureaucracy on a scale that makes Watergate look trivial. At the same time, the corrupt system was working overtime to protect Joe Biden and, of course, every member of his family. The stunning dual nature of the corruption makes the present moment so dangerous for the future of the rule of law and the entire constitutional process that has protected American freedom for more than 200 years. It's all in deep, deep, deep trouble. As deeply and persuasively corrupt as the bureaucracy has become, the other great decay since Watergate has been the corruption of the media. The New York Post, Fox News, and a few others have tried some sense of honest coverage. Smaller conservative publications, podcasts like this one, and social media have called out big media systems for being active allies of the corrupt bureaucracy. Still, when needed, the elite corporate media have eagerly smeared President Trump and enthusiastically lied to protect the Biden family syndicate and everybody in it. There are no Bob Woodward's or Carl Bernstein's courageously working to uncover the truth and get it published. Indeed, Woodward has reinvented himself into a chief Trump smearmonger. There are no courageous editors like Ben Bradley backing up reporters. There are no fearless publishers like Catherine Graham willing to risk lawsuits and withstand the anger of the corrupt government. Today, there's only a corrupt media protecting a corrupt establishment. The challenge to the American people, you and me, to get at the truth is far more difficult than it was when Richard Nixon was under attack in the Watergate scandal. 
The establishment rot threatens our survival as a free people living in a free nation. And it is increasingly difficult to uproot. Where are the Woodwards and Bernsteins when we need them the most? We need somebody in the media to step up and just tell the truth. First thoughts for this week at TNN Live from yours truly. We're in a lot of trouble. We're in a bad place right now. Where are we going? Who's going to take us there? Is it a good place? Can we get out of it if it's not a good place? All of these questions ring loud every day, bouncing around the media. It seems like everything is weaponized for a cause, a purpose. Look at this woke, transgender stuff that's just destroying the nation. Major corporations are losing tens of billions of dollars because the woke crowd has pressured them into believing that it's okay. Biology doesn't matter. Facts don't matter anymore. If you want to be a pig, all you got to do is oink. And that makes you automatically a pig. That may sound extreme, but that's exactly what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with the real issues of life. Every American has got a bullseye painted on their back. What are you talking about, Dan? I'm talking about the tens of millions of illegal aliens that are flooding our southern border and have been willy-nilly, no accountability, none whatsoever during this administration. In fact, the opposite is true. Let's let them come on in. Who's paying the price for that? Who's footing the bill? American taxpayers, of course. And I promise you didn't get a vote. You didn't get to say, hey, Mr. President, we want you to just open up the southern border and let anybody and everybody in. It doesn't matter who they are, what they were guilty of in their home countries. Just let them in. We're going to give them another chance. We're the greatest nation on the planet and the greatest nation in history. We can absorb, you know, 2 million, 3 million, 4 million, many of who are criminals. And yeah, we know that for two years, just in Texas alone, 600,000 criminal acts were committed by illegal aliens against Texans. We know that, but that's not the normal. Texas is different. They're a big, big, big state, and they're comprised of a lot of different kind of people, and they're going to be okay. We just got to let those illegals come in here. And of course, the bottom line is we all know why they are pushing. They're losing their Democrat Party membership in droves, have been for years. They cannot let their party fall apart because if it does, when it does, they lose all their power. Their power. If you have power, you don't need to worry about money. You don't need to worry about influence. If you have power, you can control everything. Just look at history on the planet. What's happened in Russia in the last century? What happened in Russia? 
what happened in the last century to Germany. Despots took power, and they took power by destroying the lives of people they took power over. But they garnered total 100% control of the populations. That's what this administration and many that serve in the administration are looking for. Unilateral power over the people so you can control everything. Wow. Don't forget second hour, hour number two, top of the second hour. Steve Baker will be joining us. Much to talk about. There has been a lot of moving pieces up in Washington, D.C. since Steve's been with us last. And he's going to bring us up to date on all those things. But let's look at, just for a moment, let's look at what happened around the nation on the weekend. We had 53 people shot during Memorial Day weekend in Mayor Brandon Johnson's Chicago. Two weeks as mayor. 53, 12 died. Wow, the weekend's violence began with at least 12 shot, three fatally Friday night into Saturday morning alone in Chicago, and then it just escalated from there. Hours later, by Saturday night at 8.19 p.m., the number of shooting victims reached 21 with one additional fatality. By Monday morning, ABC7 Chicago Sun-Times noted the number of shooting victims was at 43 with the total number of shooting fatalities at nine. Three more died, but 10 more were shot overnight. Yesterday and this morning, 53. Now, how does that compare with previous ones? Well, 46 people were shot during Memorial Day weekend a year ago. That was the last Memorial Day weekend overseen by former Mayor Lori Lightfoot. On May 9th, This year, May 9th, the NRA referenced Sun-Times figures showing over 2,760 people were killed in Chicago while Lori Lightfoot was mayor. 2,760 people. Now, how can this happen? Well, the left will say it's because of all those evils, weapons of mass destruction, war. You've got to get away and do away with these automatic weapons. Nobody needs those. Let me just paint a little truth for you, a nugget for you to digest this morning. Chicago has, if not the most, in the top two, most egregious, critical, lockdown, gun purchasing laws and gun use laws of any other city in America. So they always give us the the numbers, the statistics, like I told you. May 9th, 2023, the number comes out, shows that over 2,760 people were killed in Chicago during Lightfoot's term as mayor. But you know the one statistic they never tell us? Of the, for instance, of those 12 people that got killed this weekend, 13 people that got killed there, the guns that killed those people, where did they come from? Where did they come from? You know why they won't give us those stats? Because you can book it. They were stolen or bought illegally. None of those people went to Dick's Sporting Goods and filled out the background investigation for the Dick's Sporting Goods people to send up to the ATF for them to approve that person wanting to buy that gun. None of those came 
from those places. Law enforcement is deeply responsible for the violence that it just keeps going on every weekend in Chicago, not just Chicago, around the nation, our biggest city, same kind of stuff happening. And it's not changing. It's not getting better. There is no accountability. No accountability. They're giving people free passes. If you don't hold your kids accountable for what they do wrong, what lesson does that teach them? Oh, it's okay. Just let everything slide. It'll be all right. You can get away with anything. Just be nice about it. Don't go over the edge. That's a great lesson, isn't it? (laughs) It's certainly not working. And Chicago's not the only place that we had gun violence over the weekend. At least nine people, including children, were injured yesterday after shots rang out near the beach boardwalk in Hollywood, Florida. The police responded to a call before 6.45 local time yesterday reporting multiple people shot near Johnson Street in Hollywood. Officers rendered aid at the scene before victims were transported to Memorial Regional Hospital and Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Yep, kids were victimized in that shooting. Thank you to the Good Samaritans, the paramedics, police, and emergency room doctors and nurses for their immediate response to aid the victims of today's shooting. That's Hollywood Florida Mayor Josh Levy, he said in a statement. A cop spokesperson, Deanna Beneneshi, said four kids were shot, including a 17-year-old. Five adults whose ages range between 25 and 65 were also shot. Yanetto Barrio Sanchez, a spokesperson for Memorial Healthcare System, said early this morning, all the victims are in stable condition, thankfully. Police Chief Chris O'Brien said Memorial Day drew thousands of people to the area and that the shooting was unfortunate. It's unfortunate we have law-abiding citizens who come to our beaches, and that gets interrupted by a group of criminals, he said. Beneneshi said the shooting escalated from an altercation between two groups. One person of interest has been detained while another remains at large, Police are looking for an African-American male with dreads who was last seen wearing a black short-sleeved shirt and camouflage shorts. Videos online show a packed crowd scrambling on the beach boardwalk after the first shots rang out. Other videos posted on Twitter and elsewhere last night showed emergency medical personnel rendering aid to multiple injured people. Once again, accountability. No accountability. Now, they'll, they'll after the fact, they'll get some of these people. They're looking for two people for the Hollywood, Florida shootings. They got one, but they're after the other one. But this just keeps going around in circles. Remember that song from the 60s, Will It Go Round in Circles? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening here. Nothing is getting resolved. Three Marines were savagely beaten by a mob of 40 teenagers on the beach over the weekend. A trio of self-identified Marines found themselves as victims of assault with deadly weapon over the weekend when an estimated mob of about 40 teens was seen pummeling them 
on a California beach. That incident happened late Friday in San Clemente, California. It was seen from multiple angles as a nearby resident. Members of the mob were already recording the unruly behavior about 10 o'clock Friday night. A member of the trio said to be a Lance Corporal with the U.S. Marine Corps explained to the news television station that he and his peers were already on the beach enjoying time away from Camp Pendleton when a group of dozens of teens arrived began causing a disturbance. They were lighting off fireworks. They were being belligerent. They were being obnoxious and annoying other people. So we went up to them and told them to stop, he said. After appearing to walk away from the group, one member of the trio can be seen taking a blow to the back of the head from one of the teens, caused him to turn and confront the assailant. Moments later, he and a friend could be seen shielding themselves in the fetal position as they were stomped on and beat up, taking kicks and punches all over their bodies. Shouts of get the effer and F that effer could be heard during the chaos. It didn't let up until two passerbys appeared to intercede, stepping in and shouting at the teens, Stop! What are you doing? My face still has blood on it. It wasn't cool at all, one young man told KCAL News. According to the Orange County Sheriff's Department, the victims refused to go to the hospital. While no major injuries were reported, Sergeant Frank Gonzalez explained this is considered an assault with a deadly weapon because of the amount of suspects that we are investigating. The weapons that were used, their feet, while these victims were on the ground. So regardless if the victims choose prosecution or choose medical attention, Sheriff's Department's going to investigate this to the fullest, try to find out who the suspects are, he added. Is it just me, or does it seem that this just gets more egregious and more ramped up Every day, every day, this kind of stuff is happening. It's not getting better. A lot of common things in that whole thing, but the number one thing is none of the perpetrators, none of the perpetrators, well, every once in a while, they'll they'll go grab one of them. But overall, everybody gets away with doing it. Assault and battery, shooting people, killing some. This is the United States of America. This is not supposed to happen. Well, 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 the busy first hour, we're going to break down the debt limit increase bill that Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, has in his hand today. When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies, how do you spell relief? TNN, the Truth News Network. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. (laughs) It's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive, no drama. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. 
When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Now let me tell you what we're struggling with. We're struggling with getting all the facts about the debt limit bill that uh, was published over the weekend. Many of you saw it, found out what it included. Supposedly, it was to prevent the rampant spending unabated by this president and others in his administration. And that was the kind of feeling that we were told that this agreement between Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden was going to be. But of course, the devil's in the details. I don't know if you've read it, read the terms of it, but it is, uh, it's pretty hollow when it comes to curtailing the spending that uh, Kevin McCarthy told everybody he was going to demand. It wasn't negotiable, that part of it. We got to cut the spending. Now, There are some things that will happen regarding reducing spending, but only based on triggers within the bill that the triggers are put off by a series of things that got to happen before the trigger can go. Yesterday morning, CNN this morning, White House Communications Director Ben LeBolt He reacted to concerns about the people at CNN about the debt ceiling agreement from the Progressive Caucus by stating they should support the bill. Why? Because it stops default and it doesn't repeal programs that the Biden administration has gotten passed and members of the Progressive Caucus have supported. LeBolt said this, well, there are a few pieces to it. The first I talked about Preventing default is absolutely essential for every hardworking American. The second is, for members of the caucus, the Progressive Caucus, who voted for all of the signature legislation of this administration over the past couple of years, that has led to the creation of 12.7 million jobs. That's a lie. It's a lie. 12.7 million jobs. It's a lie. It's a lie they created them. Most of those, by far, were people that were just going back to work that either got laid off or couldn't work during the pandemic. And of course, the Biden folks, they said, it's because of us. He continued and says, the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, things like the Chips and Science Act that will allow us to build a semiconductor industry to this country, the infrastructure law, the largest investment in clean energy ever, in the Inflation Reduction Act that did everything but reduce inflation, those are protected and funded in this agreement. And so if you voted for those items, you should vote for this as well. In addition to how essential it is to prevent default, it would have a catastrophic impact on the American people. Now that's one version And then when we go elsewhere, we find out we're told that every major congressional leader has signaled their support for Kevin McCarthy's debt ceiling deal despite backlash from members of both parties. So this whole thing, this debt ceiling standoff, it's months long. And on the 27th, now that's three days ago, 
McCarthy announced he and Biden had reached an agreement in principle to raise the debt ceiling that's, quote, worthy of the American people. So in addition to raising the debt ceiling, the bill would cap non-defense spending at its previous levels, enhance work requirements for government assistance, and reclaim billions of unspent COVID-19 relief funds, among some other things. Since then, most congressional leaders have signaled support for the deal, dubbed the Fiscal Responsibility Act, even as it faces criticism from both the left and the right. For progressives like Representative Premier Jayapal, a Democrat from Washington, she's leader of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the package is too right-wing, her term, right-wing. The right wing of the GOP, likewise, has decried the deal as a surrender to the left, saying it concedes too much to Democrats. <laughs> you know, when you try to get something done, I th- here's a suggestion, Mr. Speaker. Don't come out of the chute after you get a verbal commitment about anything from this president. He probably won't even remember what he committed to tomorrow. It's not done until the ink is dried and the votes have happened. We're nowhere close to that in this thing. The House Freedom Caucus, the powerful force in the House Republican Party, has also signaled it's against the deal. Reps Lauren Boebert from Colorado, Chip Roy from Texas, Andy Biggs from Arizona, Thomas Massey from Kentucky, Dan Bishop, from North Carolina, and Ralph Norman also from Carolina, but the other one, South Carolina, among others, have each said they're not going to support the package. But despite bipartisan discontent with the package, major congressional leaders have each signaled their support for it. McCarthy, he led GOP negotiations with Democrats on the package. He said there's so much in this that's positive. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, my buddy from South Louisiana, GOP House Conference Chairwoman Elise Stefanik, and Majority Whip Tom Emmer called it a historic series of wins. And then there's House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York. He was noncommittal. <laughs> However, he suggested the bill would be instrumental in avoiding a catastrophic default and suggested... He expects Democrats' support for the package. And then reports also claim that Representative Steny Hoyer, Democrat from Maryland, the former House Majority Whip, has been rallying support for the package behind the scenes. It's also won the support of the two top leaders in the Senate. Majority Leader Schumer praised Biden for negotiating an end to the stalemate. I salute President Biden for protecting the American economy and delivering for American families by taking the threat of default off the table, Schumer said. And then the Republican leader in the Senate, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, echoed the sentiment. The Senate must act swiftly, pass this agreement without unnecessary delay. With such a broad cross-section of support from key congressional leaders, the package seems set to breeze through Congress. Now, What you're hearing, I'm referencing stories that were printed over the weekend. They were put together and printed over the weekend. And then everybody begins to 
peel back the layers of what's in this bill. And conservatives are going, uh, I don't know about that. Mitch McConnell called on the Senate to pass it. The United States of America will not default on his debt. He said that Sunday after Joe Biden and McCarthy announced the deal. Today's agreement makes urgent progress toward preserving our nation's full faith and credit and a much-needed step toward getting its financial house in order. This is McConnell talking. I'm especially grateful to Speaker McCarthy and House Republicans for their work to ensure that a debt limit increase comes with serious steps to rein in Washington Democrats' addiction to reckless spending. And it just goes on and on and on. Steve Baker, when he joins us at the top of the hour, we're going to weigh into some of that with some thoughts and ideas. I actually over the weekend, had a conversation with an insider in leadership telling us it ain't all what it looks like it's going to be. So we got a lot more to look at. We're going to move on with some other stuff. Very important. I want to get all this in today. We've got two hours. We want to take and finish up this first hour before Steve gets here to make sure you're well-informed. Ladies! We ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes, for insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us for never washing our hands, ever. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. What do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. Oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't looking at anything. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, yeah. Supermodels? What are you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. Now, we're wading into the big news on the national stage, principally our debt limit increase. We've been afraid of default. The markets have been really struggling to keep their positions as the uncertainty about getting a 
debt deal done. It just seemed to uh, just linger on and on and on. Not all the lawmakers up there, regardless of what you're hearing, not all of them are sold on this debt deal. You want to hear a little about it? Lawmakers leaving Washington for the long holiday weekend with no debt deal passed through Congress yet. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen now saying the default deadline could be as soon as June 5th. Joining me now is PIMCO head of public policy, Libby Cantrell. Uh, Libby, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. So as usual, you read the tea leaves correctly. I got to give you credit once again. You were saying weeks ago it is in both McCarthy and Biden's interest to get this thing done. It looks like they're on the cusp of doing so. Uh, I want you to tell us how they did it, and especially because you've called attention to this clever little way that they can both claim a win on setting spending limits. Yeah, that's right, Jack. So we, our view had been that nobody has the political incentive to default. At the same time, no one has a political incentive to compromise before they absolutely have to. So we were expecting sort of guiding clients that there would be a deal, but probably not a deal until the 11th hour, and that's what we're seeing now. Now, to your point, spending has been sort of the crux of the issue, sort of the, the central part of this negotiation. And it does seem like they've been able to split the baby, if you will, uh, in terms of finding a compromise that's sort of mutually agreeable. Not only does it look like that defense spending actually might go up in 2024, interesting, um, but that also non-defense discretionary spending may look like it's going down, so that's going to appease Republicans. But because of some accounting tricks, potentially indexing it for inflation, it looks like it will actually be flat. So sort of it gives both people, both sides of the aisle, some political cover to then go sell it to their to their base. But as Speaker McCarthy has said, not everyone's going to be happy with this. And we don't expect everyone to vote for it. We actually think that House, the House Freedom Caucus is likely to vote against it. And probably House progressives are likely to vote against it as well. That means that they need to cobble together the 218 that they need to, to pass something in the House with sort of a coalition of Republicans and Democrats. In fact, you had some rather clever, uh, colorful language to describe <laughs> uh, the yelling and shouting from either end, both the far right and the far left on this. Yes, I've yeah, described it as pearl clutching, as vomiting. Uh, we've also described passing the debt ceiling as like passing a kidney stone. We all know it will pass. It's just a question of how painful it will be. And, and of course, we are in the painful phase. But again, sort of despite all of that pearl clutching, we do expect this to pass, although not until the 11th hour. And the fact that Secretary Yellen has now extended that so-called X date, uh, sort of the deadline from June 1st to June 5th, it gives the Congress some breathing room in order to pass things. But I think from a market's perspective, there may be a bit of volatility this next week just because of that pearl clutching and that hand-wringing over the deal. And then further potential volatility if the Treasury has to suddenly issue a whole lot of bonds to cover bills that they weren't able to pay, or can they manage that? Yeah, so this is actually a really important uh, sort of nuance of all of this, because of course, Treasury's been um, sort of bleeding into their cash buffers. Uh, they've been decreasing their cash buffers to allow to, to sort of continue to stay below that debt ceiling. When the debt ceiling passes, then they have to start issuing a lot of cash, a lot of bills to uh, sort of resupply that that their 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 cushion, um, and that could be disruptive to the market. And of course, while you haven't really seen a lot of volatility in the equity market, we've already seen right. a lot of volatility in the T-bill market in the front end of the Treasury curve. This could include this could just lead to more of that volatility as we're basically sucking liquidity out of the market. This actually helps the Fed in terms of sort of slowing down the economy, but it's something that might be sort of unintended anticipated from, from a broader kind of market perspective. And could affect banks as well. 
That's right. And actually, yes, yeah, so if, if depositors take their money out of banks and then put it into T-bills because right. they're more attractive, then that could also uh, increase uh, you know, instability at, at the banks as well. So we do think that um, you know, the Treasury is very sophisticated about their cash management and about their T-bill issuance. We expect them to be, have a very deliberate approach here and to sort of issue new T-bills sort of over time so it's not necessarily just an influx of the market. But there is a real need. I mean, they do need sure. <laughs> they, they need to kind of replenish their own coffers. So um, yeah, there is sort of brass tax. I want to pivot to one other subject before you go, which is you've been talking a lot about new rules that will allow the government to take a closer look at companies dealing with China. Can you explain that? Yeah, as, as everyone's been focused on the debt ceiling, um, we we're obviously focused on that as for our clients as well. But this is actually something that we think is really important for folks to understand. This will be an executive order coming out of the Biden administration on capital outflows from the U.S., to China in specific areas, in artificial intelligence, in quantum computing, and in semiconductors. It is going to be a disclosure-based re regime first. So PE investors, VC investors who are going to be investing in these sectors in China will have to disclose those investments. But, and this is sort of the big but, there is a possibility that those investments can be blocked so that basically the U.S. government can veto those investments. Jack, the reason why this is notable, I think, is because I, we think this is more of the beginning, not the end, in terms of scrutiny and potential restrictions on capital coming from the from the U.S. to to China. So it's just something that folks should be aware of. This specific executive order uh, is not all that existential, but if this is sort of a, a trend, then it could actually uh, amount to something much more significant. It'll last a lot longer than the debt ceiling fight. It will. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, Thanks, let me. Your perspective. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. We're watching the markets very close today to see how they respond. And so far, it's not looking too good. Dow is down 121 points, but the NASDAQ is up 78 points. So there is still uncertainty there, but everybody in the financial sectors are watching it very closely. And what about the Democrats? What are they saying? Some of their leaders have said some of the losses in the debt ceiling negotiations, they don't like them, but they're urging their fellow members to vote yes anyway. According to congressional reporter, a guy named Max Cohen, former House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, is urging his colleagues to vote yes, despite some of their misgivings. He said, despite these setbacks, we got to save American economy from Republicans' irresponsible, irresponsible and radical plans to impose a damaging default. The failure to do so would have catastrophic impacts on every American, every family, and the global economy, yada, 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 pontification. We all know that. Every American understands that if you don't do your job, it's going to cost us all dearly. Just do your job. Stinney said, we cannot allow the American people to shoulder the dire consequences of Republicans' inabilities <laughs> and to govern. That's why I urge my colleagues to join me in supporting this compromise legislation and to bring an end to this needless economic turmoil. When you hear leaders in Congress talk like that, especially from Democrats, you know that bill is not nearly as bad as they want to portray it. They're excited and they're going to vote yes regardless. That bothers me. <laughs> that bothers me a lot. When Democrats are all in for something, that means it can't be good. It just can't be good. Well, we're going to move on from the debt limit stuff. 
Yeah, it's very important, but there's nothing you can I can do. When Steve gets here in a few minutes, we're going to talk a little bit about it at the beginning. He's got some thoughts, and I talked to an insider over the weekend. We'll share those in just a little bit. He'll be here in about 10 minutes or so. But there's something else I wanted to point out before we get cranking up with Mr. Baker. Megan Kelly had Charlie Kirk on her show over the weekend. And the content of that conversation was about our very favorite conservative television network. Of course, we're talking about Fox News. Everybody has watched and waited, kind of holding our breaths about what's going on in Fox News. I mean, they canned Tucker Carlson. They kicked Dan Bongino off. What's going on there? We know that that big, huge lawsuit they settled with Dominion Voting machines has a lot to do with the decisions they're making there. But when you're number one in news and Fox news is, and has been number one regarding conservative news for years, there's something going on there that doesn't smell right. Megan Kelly and Charlie Kirk weighed in on that on Megan's show this weekend. There's an interesting piece in the Daily Signal today talking about Fox, and they have some quotes from Tucker's team and from from some others on how Fox has gone left on the gender ideology yep, that's subject correct. and revealing as follows, quote, a source who still works at Fox News told the Daily Signal that after Carlson's show was canceled in April, producers for the new APM were told not to bash Dylan Mulvaney. The source says that directive came from high-level executives. And it ends by interviewing Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire, who says there is no daylight at all between Fox News and MSNBC when it comes to gender and that reporting. And he says that's something that the Fox's viewers need to know. Um, He says, if it were up to me, Fox would get the Bud Light treatment. And they are getting that treatment. But it is interesting. The whole piece is worth reading. It talks about how Fox requires you to say the pronouns of people as required. Now, there's some of that is due to New York City law, which is as far left on this stuff as you can get. But there's nothing in New York City law that says you can't bash Dylan Mulvaney when he's making a mockery of womanhood. So if that actually happened, that's a Fox directive. And it does sort of evince why people are having trouble with the new Fox News channel. Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, I guess criticizing central, you know, criticizing Dylan Mulvaney is the central piety you can't do, I guess, now at any major media network. It's it's remarkable. He he is the holy, right? You're, everything else is touchable. It's interesting. I, I still go on Fox and I have good friends. Laura's been great to me. And if, I'll be honest, without Fox, I don't know if I would have, you know, would have had the kind of career I've had. And obviously they've changed. But I'm thankful to them. And but at the same time, I'm very critical of where they're going. I'll say this, Megan. I got an email asking me to go on a program a couple of weeks ago. And the producer had his pronouns in his email signature. Really? Uh-huh. And oh my God. I'm not going to say what show. Yeah, at Fox. And they're asking me to come on the show. And I sent it to my team. I said, we are not going on this show. Let me be No, clear. the answer is okay. no. Yeah, I, it's like he, him, whatever. I said, look. This at some point you got to just say no. Okay, I am not going to put up with this, and I don't know if it's mandated. I don't know if it's selective. But here you are. You're trying to book Charlie Kirk, and you think that you know me seeing pronouns in the bio is going to make me say, you know what? I'm going to make time on a weekend that you know that I could be spending with my precious daughter because of your 
you know, your pronoun signaling to me, like, no, go, go find somebody else. Okay. So oh this is, that, that's a legit thing, Megan. And people forget last May, June, you guys could find the exact tape. This got buried because they got embarrassed. Do you remember that six or seven minute infomercial they did on that trans kid? I don't know if you remember yes. that about yeah, last, we covered last this. year. It was incredible. Yeah. It had all the tropes. Your child's going to kill themselves unless yes, you affirm yes, gender affirming yes. care. It had all the this buzzwords was on the, the network. Left. This yeah. was viewed as kind of an infomercial, like, okay, everybody, we're very proud. Let's watch this, you know, very well edited propaganda piece brought to you by the chemical castration company, Pfizer, basically, right? Yeah. And it was all about my kid's going to kill himself and all this. And it was pure Operation Mockingbird transgender propaganda on Fox. Now, they memory hold that because they got such a huge backlash for it. But that trans ideology is absolutely prevalent in 1211 Avenue of the Americas. You get in a situation where something that seems so incorrigible to most people, the trans conversation, and you find out that Fox News, the people upstairs, are really touchy about reporting on it, having their people reporting on it, and it may be perceived to be negative. That means we got a problem with Fox News. I just don't know what's going on, but I can promise you there's something there. We're going to watch it, keep our eyes on it. We'll let you know anything that we find out. But wouldn't it be horrible if conservative America lost Fox News if they went left, which they've gone left more than uh, I've ever seen them go? I just don't get it. Anyway, somebody that can work through and give us all the facts is on the phone with us now. Mr. Baker, how are you? Good morning, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm. I'm struggling with all of this insane stuff that just keeps floating around in the air, and nobody can get their hands on it all and try to put it together. I'm struggling too. I'm struggling too, Dan. It's bad, and I, Dad Gummit, man, I I hate that. Seems like every time we come on here together, we have to talk about this bad stuff. And I know, I know, I know. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, but this is worse than that. We're not we're not reporting on the local car wreck. We're not reporting on the local. <laughs> well, you did report on you re, you did report on the Chicago shootings yeah. earlier. I was listening. Yeah, and 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 all of that is bad news. But that's not even the bad stuff. The bad the bad stuff is what's happening uh, in in D.C. It's what's happening in Congress. It's what's happening at Fox News. It's what's happening at, uh, as a general rule on so many of the institutions that we have held in regard for so many years, and they seem to be not just failing us, they seem to be charting a course purposefully in a different direction. And that frightens me, man. I feel it's being weaponized. It's one thing to go on the air and talk about something in a news format kind of setting, just telling us the facts that or known about anything out there that is deemed to be important to the people. That's one thing. But when the people on the air are actually weaponizing the stories they bring to us, and the weaponization is their own opinions that are being layered on top of the news that they're telling us about. That's what's happened for years at places like CNN and MSNBC, where we know you can't get facts there. You get opinion. News is not supposed to be based on opinion. Everybody's got an opinion about everything. And the people are screaming, just give us the facts. 
pure, unadulterated, in the open facts and let us use our perceptions to come up with our opinions about the news that's brought to us. That's long gone. It, I mean, it's it's nowhere. When you can't trust the fact that Fox News is going to give you the unadulterated news, who else is there to turn to? <laughs> the Dan Newman Show, TNN Live. <laughs> well, we do take pride in that, but it gets kind of aggravating. You know this. You deal with it at, at, at your podcast and your website. I mean, it seems like every day we're having to just unload and unpack everything to try to figure out what the facts really are so that we don't misrepresent facts. That's the thing that bothers me the most. When you get these things that are thrown into the marketplace of ideas, they come from places like CNN and MSNBC. We used to just be able to say, oh, that's CNN. You know they're going to do it. Or that's MSNBC. You know they're going to do it then now we're having to think that, maybe not say it, but think that about things we're hearing from Fox News? I mean, it's scary to me, Steve. It really is. Yeah. It's getting harder and harder to discern the truth. Yeah. And you and and I both have had contacts uh, inside the Fox News network, and one of my best friends was a writer uh, for Laura Ingram. Uh, He was the... um, for two and a half years, he was a ghostwriter for Rush Limbaugh. I know people thought that he had half of his brain tied behind his back, <laughs> but the the uh, point being is he did use uh, he did have assistance in, in prepping his show. And I have a one of my best friends in the world was one of those guys, and he's written for uh, Breitbart. He's written for several other publications, a couple books out, that sort of thing. And I can tell you, man, from the inside perspective of what's going on at these news agencies it's becoming exactly what we fear it is a trend but we you know you and you and i have talked about this before the, you know the murdochs are not uh conservatives i used to think hmm, maybe maybe they're maybe they're libertarian i don't know but they're not they uh rupert as, as i mentioned here a couple of weeks ago rupert murdoch he was actively engaged in fundraising for the hillary hillary Clinton campaign against Donald Trump in 2016. Um, Obviously, his sons are not conservatives, and they are funding left-wing projects. Uh, They're funding uh, Biden's super PAC. They have um, been very much on the record that they despised Tucker Carlson. Well, if you despise Tucker Carlson, you despise what ostensibly most of the Fox viewers believed was the reason for even watching Fox in the first place. So you, you have to anticipate that at some point they were going to try and figure out how to continue to hold their audience and their market share and therefore the revenues, the billions that are being generated from Fox News and their other news services around the world while then forcing them into compliance with the, uh, the narrative that is acceptable by unfortunately the powers that be. And I, I think that that's what we're seeing now. It's a, it's a trend. I don't, you know, I don't think that they're going to flip a switch and all of a sudden overnight Fox is going to become MSNBC, but uh, you can see the, uh, the beginnings of that uh, trend beginning to take place. 
Did you hear the segment just before we went on with Megan Kelly and Charlie Kirk? Did you hear any of that? I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, they actually, Charlie Kirk, when they contacted him to go on the show, they actually talked to him about what to say and not to say regarding tr- right. discussions on trans matters. Yeah. You yeah. don't you don't do that. You don't edit news when you have a guest come on if you are wide open to just talking about facts. It's called yep. censorship and it, it it it's been done throughout history, usually by country led by despots. The despots take over the news. That's exactly what happened in the Hitler world in Germany. He had his buddy Goebel Go take over all the newspapers. There was no television, very limited radio back then. But he got marching orders, and he went from newspaper to newspaper and would hand them, here's the stories that you publish tomorrow. And if they disagreed, Mm -hmm. they shut it down on the spot. The newspaper was put out of business. I, I I don't think we're there yet, but we're at a point. I mean, you look at the partnership between mainstream media and the intelligence community in the Biden administration, look at the coordination. We're close to having at least half of our news world falling back into that. Maybe not quite as egregious as what happened in Germany, but still, when the government steps in, even putting their thumb on the scale of what can be and how it can be reported, that's a scary situation. And you can forget about the First Amendment if they really get into doing that, where they can abridge anything and everything you and I say. It, it is nearly uh, as egregious, though, Dan. And I, I can tell you that, as you know, firsthand of sitting in these trials and in these hearings in D.C., and then, as I've mentioned before, reading the articles that are published by the MSM journalist on, you know, that evening or the day after about what we saw with our own eyes and what we heard with our own ears uh, from the judge, from the, uh, the, the the prosecutors, from the defense attorneys, and even the defendants themselves, and then seeing how that it is then reported the next day. And it's not that these MSM journalists have a gun to their head like in Hitler's Germany, but they are willing accomplices to that narrative. They are willing accomplices into feeding the American public what is acceptable. And that that doesn't just mean um, uh, not talking about Dylan Mulvaney or not talking about trans issues. It is, uh, well, I read a story this morning, uh, I forget who, who wrote it, but it was an insider there at Fox who said they only have one forbidden word at Fox News right now, but none of their anchors, none of their commentators can say the word Tucker. That is the forbidden word. Well, you know, soon Tucker is going to be big news. He was big news when he was fired, but when he makes and launches his comeback in whatever form that's, that, that's going to happen, he's going to be the biggest news story in the world at that moment, and they're not going to be able to talk about it. I thought that was interesting, but more back to the point I was making, first of all, and, and, and again, this is a, something else that, that everyone needs to understand, and we have talked about it before. It's not necessarily 
even what Fox News is saying, it's not what MSNBC is saying, it's not what CNN is saying, it is what they are not saying. It is the lies of omission that then shape the narrative and allow the public to make their critical assumptions when it comes down to voting uh, at the polling places every two years, four years, whatever. It's because of what they don't know, what they've not been told is how the narrative and how the direction of this country is being shaped right now. (laughs) And we saw that, you know, obviously we saw that during the pandemic. We saw that with all of the disinformation, not disinformation coming from the people online and the, the, uh, rebellious doctors and the rebellious scientists who were holding up their hands going, uh, uh, Hey, 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 that, that, that's not exactly true, but it was the disinformation campaigns that were coming from media, coming from government, coming from big tech, uh, that were thrust upon us because they wouldn't allow us to see the other side. Now, three years hence, the news is out. We know that those who were the contrarians early on were right and were right you know, 98% of the time, but it's what we weren't allowed to see that shaped and allowed this kind of, you know, Dan, there, there wouldn't have been lockdowns. There wouldn't have been the level of uh, compliance to the vaccines. Uh, There wouldn't have been, um, you know, universal mask wearing. There wouldn't have been mask mandates outside in parks. Uh, (laughs) I, I remember, I remember when the Biden administration under the White House logo, published and posted all over social media and said, masks are no longer required outdoors. Now, technically, they never really were. There was no force of law. But that was the narrative that they had thrust on everybody. And then suddenly they gave America permission to take off something that wasn't even required to be worn anyway. Uh, and, And... it's it's happening over and over and over again. You know, and I I experienced experienced this again last week when I was there covering the Oath Keepers sentencing hearings. Uh, I saw the same thing manifest itself right before me again. It was not what was being said, but it was what was being withheld from the public, and it's why they don't understand what took place. And those even even in the sentencing hearings, people do not understand how. Uh, the one one individual who never did any violence, never went into the Capitol, never by the courts never presented to the jury an explicit plan for overthrowing the government, interfering with the certification of the election, or storming the Capitol. This guy gets the longest sentence so far, eighteen years, while at the same time individuals who lobbed um, Molotov cocktails, lawyers, two lawyers who lobbed Molotov cocktails into a police car in New York City. Their sentencing recommendation coming down from the authorities is only 18 to 24 months. So what you're saying is justice (laughs) from our federal government has to do with who's in the White House at that particular time. Yeah, and, and, and of course, that, that's, that's a whole other topic because yeah, yeah. No, president, no president should have that power. You know, if, if presidents, if, the, if Congress itself had not ceded so much of 
their own constitutional authority over to the executive branch over the last, you know, however, however many decades that this process has been happening. Uh, we we wouldn't fight so much over who the president was because he's not supposed to be that powerful. No, he's just no. not supposed to be. No. And but that's what's happened. They they become anointed by the media, and because the media has such a lock on the narrative, whatever it is at the time, they just basically prop up a president. If it's a Democrat in the White House, not a Republican, but if it's a Democrat, they prop it up, and whatever he says. That's the way it is. Now, I want want to throw you a curveball. We didn't talk about what I'm about to ask you about. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, throws his hat in the ring Mm -hmm. last week. And the big deal was the first day after he announced, he got $8 million in donations. Now, that's a lot of money. I don't care who you are in 24 hours. It is. But when you put yeah. that in the context of what's going to be spent, which is well over a billion dollars is what it's going to cost to get elected. Eight million dollars is not so much. I sense, and I'm going to make it specific in just a second, but I sense a huge groundswell coming from the mainstream Republican Party the rhinos, Republicans in name only, the establishment Republicans, and you know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I sense a huge concerted effort to prop Ron DeSantis up and to push him and just make the American people, the conservative Americans that are out here, make us all believe, ah, Trump times is, it's gone, it's over. He'll never make it. Look at what's happening to him in these courts with all these lawsuits and also criminal charges against him. we got to go find somebody else. But then I look at what the American people are saying this week, this weekend, about Trump versus DeSantis. Now, let me give you some examples. I follow all the polls, every one of them, every day. I get emails that have the latest of everything. So based upon the news, since DeSantis threw his hat into the ring, when I say the news, I'm talking about conservative news, one would think that, wow, Trump better look out because DeSantis is getting big. He's going to overtake the former president. This morning, right now, let me give you a few. In the Emerson poll, This morning, these were numbers that they grabbed over the weekend. Trump, 62%. DeSantis, 20%. Trump's up 42%. Fox News, their very own polling, which at this particular point, you would think, as I do, they're probably skewed a little bit because of the way they ask their questions. They don't want Trump back up there. But even in their polling over the weekend, Trump, 53, DeSantis, 20. In the Marquette poll, Trump, 46, DeSantis, 25. The American people are not through with Donald Trump yet. You know why? Because he didn't just talk about it. He did it, 
And DeSantis might be a similar guy if he gets elected. But the American people have seen it, they've felt it, they've lived it, and they like the concept of going after the establishment and having somebody in the White House that is not committed at all to the bureaucracy, the big government, but is committed to the people, and they saw it happen for four years. I think we're in for a ride that is going to be really, really ugly. I really do. Your it's thoughts? It's going to be an ugly. It's going to be an ugly primary, and I, to be honest, Dan, I am avoiding the presidential politics cesspool <laughs> like the plague up to this point. I am trying, and I, I, I will get there because I'll be forced to get there. You, you know, in, inevitably, any of us who are political junkies, I'll drag uh, you along. We'll, we'll I'll make to, sure you. Yeah, yeah you're I, know, there. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, and 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 it's and it's going to happen. But um, I, I will. I will tell you what I have said up to this point is that the two sides, they better back off on their attacks against one another, or you might as well just go ahead and coronate president Gavin Newsom in 2024. He hasn't thrown his hat in the ring yet, but I'm anticipating that that is coming. And I'm still anticipating that the democratic machine is going to somehow figure out a way to um, uh, politely is one way I can put it, uh, but, but methodically go ahead and move Biden out. They know that he is not capable of serving another four years um, because of his declining um, uh, mental state. And they also know that the, uh, their own grassroots, they don't like it. Uh, their own grassroots just don't think that he's, capable. Now, they're, they're loyalists, sure. They're waving the Biden flag now and saying that they will welcome four more years. And certainly they'll welcome, they would welcome four more years of Biden because they know Biden's not running the machine anyway. He's, he, is, um, he is a puppet to whoever is pulling those strings. And so when they elect Biden, they know that they're just electing the puppet master or the puppet masters, as it were. And so it really doesn't matter. And uh, the idea of bringing in bringing in a, a younger, more virile, um, slick back haired, uh, slick talker like Gavin Newsom would, uh, do nothing, uh, but energize the rest of their base. And that I still believe is coming. And if the DeSantis people, and I'm talking about the punditry and I'm talking about their staff and I'm talking about their loyalists, and the Trump uh, team and staff and punditry and down the line as well, if they don't back off of this abusive rhetoric of each other and do it now and adhere to Reagan's 11th commandment, which is speak ill of no other Republican, then thou shalt not you know, speak ill of another Republican. If they don't adhere to the to the uh, Reagan 11th commandment, they're going to, um, they're going, and they're saying it now. When I say they're going to, this is what they're saying. On both sides, you have people that are saying, if Ron DeSantis gets the nomination, I'm sitting this one out. Now, I don't know what that percentage is, but the same thing is being said on the other side. And if they don't stop this and they don't find a way to 
criticize each other on the issues and stop the personal attacks, then that's what's going to happen. They're going to sully the own, their own uh, potential grassroots constituency so bad that so many of them are either just going to sit it out or they're going to go third party. And that's what's going to happen. And again, and that, and that's before we even get into election yeah. fraud and controversies and things of that nature. We got a year Lord and a knows. half. We got a year and a half to go dealing with this. We've got a presidential race that's already begun, and we don't vote for a year and a half. That's here, here's the thing, Dan. For every for every single thing, for every single item that a Trump loyalist or, or pundit out there, you know, one of the social media influencers, we'll call them, uh, says in criticism of DeSantis, I can point to the exact same thing on the Trump team. For every, for every uh, establishment dollar that they claim came in from the uh, uh, Jeb Bush pack or something of that nature, I can point right back to the other side and say, yeah, well, you know, there's Lindsey Graham. There's, you know, let's not forget that he, that Trump endorsed McCarthy's um, speakership this time. And we're all pretty upset with McCarthy right now. I know I am. I dropped some four letter words on my Twitter feed this week. That's <laughs> another story. Um, you know, so, so there, there's, it, it's, it's easy to um, go at war with the other side when they are, I mean, when, when you're not consistent, it's easy to do that when you're not consistent and you're, you know, it's, it's the, it's the old glass houses, you know, you shouldn't throw stones if you live in a glass house. Well, they both live in glass houses. Good Lord. You know, they, they, there's not, there's not uh, a single person that runs for office at that level that does not have skeletons in their closet and who does not have problems uh, in and, and sometimes that's nothing more than just the fact that they shook hands with somebody in a photo 20 years ago, and then that's used against them. Sometimes the, the problems are real, and it's somebody that they've actually done deals with as recently as two months ago. But that that's true of both sides, and I um, th- that, that's the part of this presidential uh, cycle that we're entering right now that I'm seeing that is causing me to recoil and back off and not want to really dive in yet. And, and, and as I said, and as you said, you're going to push me there, there will come a point where I'm going to have to jump in with both feet and I'm going to have to pick a side, I suppose. But, uh, you know, me, you never know. <laughs> I might pick a third side. I got you. Let's segue into the 900 pound gorilla in our room which is Speaker McCarthy, President Biden getting together and coming up with what we were told during the holiday weekend. And they they had the ability to kind of hide the details for 24 hours so that we didn't see them. Everything's cool. We got a deal cut, and it's going to be cutting spending. Biden's not going to get this, and we're, we're doing this. And everybody was clapping their hands. And then... They put it online, and you go look at it, and it's anything but conservative, and it's full no. of spending, just maybe not as much as what Biden was demanding. And uh, I don't know who you've talked to this weekend. I, I can't name names, but I have an insider in D.C. that I spent quite a bit of time communicating with over the weekend that said a huge portion 
of the Republican caucus in the House are not going to support it because it is so egregious, so Democrat, that there's no way they feel like they can sell it to their their voters in their respective districts. There's going to be a huge portion, significant portion, probably the guys, most of them who we like, but we're also going to see some guys that we like or thought we liked that are going to go along with this. Point being is, is no matter what criticism, mark my words, uh, you, you can you can sign this into, you know, you can um, you can carve this into stone right now, Dan. Despite what the extremists on the left are saying, on the Democratic Party side, what they're saying that this is a capitulation and that this is, oh, I think you mentioned it earlier in, in your first hour. This was a, you know, this is nothing more than, you know, right-wing extremism that they're looking at. That's all just pure rhetoric on their side. That's all that is. Yeah. They're just rallying up their base. Sure. These are the communists because the, the Democratic Party is, in fact, make no mistake about it. This is a neo-communist party now. It is who they are. And so you're hearing the voices of their extreme uh, members in that regard making those statements. But when it comes time to vote for it, they're going to because they know that they got what they wanted. And no matter, even if you peel off uh, 75% of the GOP, congressional members, that means it's going to pass. And that, but that's because it's so close in the house right now. And so it, it's, it's going to be ramrodded through and the, the most egregious things, obviously that it, that it, it contains. And this goes right back to one of uh, McCarthy's uh, uh, cornerstone promises that he made to his own party and to his party's constituency when he was lobbying to uh, be the Speaker of the House was he said that he was going to cut the funding for that 87,000 IRS agents. Well, guess what he did? It's only going to be 85,000 instead of 87,000. Yeah. They're keeping 98% of the of the original budgeted expansion, the future IRS spending, and all of this is going to be used towards that very thing you were talking about earlier, that weaponization of bureaucracy against the average American because, Dan, they, Biden loves vilifying the billionaires. Um, uh, AOC, Bernie Sanders, um, Elizabeth Warren, right down the line, they love, they, that's their lead line is vilifying billionaires every single time they open their mouth, every speech they make, every utterance that comes out of them. That's part of what they're talking about. When they committed, don't when need, they, go ahead. I was going to say, you don't need 85 or 87,000 new IRS employees to go after 735 billionaires. That's the number I was who going to throw out there. So who How, are they going after? Yeah, there, there's, no, there's no way it's not going after us. But the very fact that Speaker McCarthy, when he put out there, we've reached a deal, and he pointed out, he didn't say we're going to cut 2,000 of the 87,000 funded for those new jobs in the IRS. He didn't say we're going to let them keep 85,000. He said we cut it. In other words, left the the impression on the minds of every American that has been honestly waiting 
to make sure that we don't default on our debt because it would destroy our economy overnight. We'd go into depression if we if we defaulted on our debt. Um, but those people only heard that he was cutting those 87,000 new IRS agents, and they thought, that's a huge victory. It's not. And I don't think that, we're going to get there. I don't. I don't yeah. think the House is going to pass it. You don't. You don't think the House is going to pass this? No, I don't. Not as is. That would re- that would that would require McCarthy himself voting against it. How so? He, that would require. Well, because he's not going to get enough. I mean, I just don't believe right now that they're going to be able to hold enough of those. Uh, of the, GO, the the GOP congressional members together to stop this from happening. Even even if this ultimately comes off as a bipartisan bill, which is probably what's going to happen, you're going to have the extremists on one side, and you're going to have uh, let's just call them the the good guys on the other side. Or you're going to have you're going to have the, the likes of obviously Chip Roy and Thomas Massey. Um, voting against this thing, but are they really going to be able to get all of those guys that have, you know, because this, this is the, you know, the, the, we, we talked about this last week to a certain extent. We, we have a, we have a lot of guys in the GOP who have those 60%, 40%, 70% conservative voting records in the GOP. Now, by comparison, when you look at the voting records of the, the Democratic uh, party, you know, and, and it's down around 5%, 8%, maybe as high as 12% uh, conservative voting record. They look mighty conservative. But by comparison, you've got the Masseys and the Chip Roys and, uh, on the, uh, and in the Senate, you've got the Rand Pauls and the Mike Lees who are, you know, batting 95 to 100% uh, in their voting records. But there's a lot of mushy guys out there, you know, whether we're talking about Lin- the Lindsey Grahams um, are, are um, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of somebody specifically on the House that, that falls into those those low numbers in that 50 and 60 percentile. And I'm just really concerned that they're not going to be able to hold those guys together. And I, I don't know what they're going home to. I don't know what their constituency is holding them to because they keep sending them back to Congress. I mean, good Lord, why in the world is South Carolina continuing to send Lindsey Graham back to Congress every single time he comes up for re-election when his voting record clearly says that he votes conservatively only 48% of the time? I think that to get this or anything similar to this bill that McCarthy negotiated successfully with Biden to get it palatable. Let me just say that for 218 members uh, to get it passed in the house, I think it's going to have to be revised. I, I think there are six, at least six Republicans that are going to vote. No, at least if it stays the way it is. And over in the Senate, you do realize they got to get 60 to pass right. this thing. I don't I don't see that happening. There are a bunch of Republicans that have already come out and just said there's no way we've got to we've got to work on this. I don't think they're going to get anything done until next Monday, which is really D-Day now, you know, the the last day to get it done uh before we default. We're not going to default. We're not going to default. 
And the default thing, you know what the big payment that has to be paid is. It's on treasury bonds, interest on the treasury bonds. And American corporations and American individuals are the ones that own that. They're not going to let that go away. It's not going to happen. They're going to come up with a temporary stopgap, maybe 10 days, maybe 30 days. But I believe there are enough Republicans, I'm talking about less than a dozen, that will not will not cave and give in on this. That's my opinion. We'll see. You want to bet on something? You want to bet? <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm much more cynical probably than you are in that regard. But uh, that is, that is, uh, but that's history. You know, I, yeah. I, especially when we're talking about this, um, mythical debt ceiling and, and uh, these uh, budget uh, default um, ramifications <laughs> is we know every single time the GOP folds. Yeah. And, and when they do and they come out and they proclaim that they have a, uh, a workable, reasonable, um, uh, common sense compromise with the Democratic Party, it's exactly what was presented to us by McCarthy. Yeah. He tells us, he promises that he's not going to allow the 87,000 additional IRS employees and their funding to happen. And then he comes out and says that it was cut when in reality, we're, we're still getting 98% of that. Yeah. And I can go, we, and we could, we could spend the rest of our time right here and just go down the list. And that's exactly what this, that's exactly what this, um, yeah. uh, current compromise represents. It's not a, and, and, and it's always that way. We we have been we have been sold for so many decades now, Dan, that a cut in the increase is somehow a cut in the spending, and it that's never true. You know, if if the proposed increase is a uh, hundred dollars, and then they come to the microphones and they say, actually, we cut spending. Oh, it's going to be less than what we spent last year. No, it's it's only $98 this year yeah. above what we spent last year. Well, that's not a cut. We could spend all day talking about the language in D.C. Yeah. to keep the uh, the people, the voters, thinking one thing when, in fact, if you dug into it and found, like you said, there's a built-in increase percentage on government spending every year. Yeah. And every time when they say we're going to cut it, they're not cutting what they're spending today they may be cutting what they've got proposed for next year. Instead of being a 10% increase, it's only going to be a 9% increase. That's Washington, D.C. language. Mr. Baker, what zip code are you in today? I am back in North Carolina, thank goodness. Uh, I I just completed a full one-month road trip. I got home on uh, Sunday, and then (laughs) I took uh, the rest of that day off, and then yesterday I threw open my laptop, and I spent my holiday working, uh, mostly catching up for all of the, on all the messages and things that I shoved to the side while I was on the road. Uh, There's going to be some more of that done today, and then I'm going to write my overview of what happened in the sentencing hearings yesterday, although anybody can can go see 
the um, I've done the the rollout of my live tweets, so they're on my locals page now. So if they go to uh, my my locals page, which of course they can just go to tpc4usa.com, tpc4usa, and they can see the um, uh, the rollout of my live tweets uh, from the the hearings uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then uh, I'm going to then dive into my actual analysis of what happened, and it's pretty it's pretty intense. I mean, I I I had an emotional, I had a I was on an emotional roller coaster just on Thursday and Friday alone. Yeah, I saw yeah, what too. they I saw what they did I saw what they did to Stuart Rhodes and Kelly Meggs on Thursday, and I yeah. feared the worst for my my buddy, my the guy I've been working the hardest for, Ken Harrelson, and, and he was the last of the four. Um, and he, so he was sentenced on Friday afternoon and he ended up, uh, there's no other way to, to look at it on the surface level and say, except to say that the, the mercy of the court was shown on him. Um, he's already served over 800 days behind bars. The judge made it, gave him only 48 months, actually said these words. He actually said, uh, just before he pronounced his sentencing, he said, you've suffered enough. And he said, even said, he said, I do not believe that you are the man that the government has portrayed you to be. And, um, and when, when he said both of those phrases, I had, I was sitting in the back of the media room. I had tears rolling down my face. Cause I, when I heard that, I went, okay, mercy is coming. And then to only get four years, which is too much, means that with uh, time served and then, of course, his probation um, uh, qualifications that will happen, he'll be he'll probably be home in less than a year back to his family. And so that's a good thing. So that was a victory uh, in in the grand scheme of things. But that's uh, cynically, though, Dan, I predicted that that's what's going to happen during the trial. My my conversations with the defense attorneys. I actually said this during the trial back last fall. I said more than likely the court, the department of justice, judge made is going to use Ken Harrelson's uh, case as a means to show that the court is fair and that they can have mercy, but only for the reason of buttressing the legitimacy of their extreme sentencing that took place with the other guys. Man, this this is something that uh, is going to continue to puzzle those of us that watch the government closely. The weaponization of the federal government against voters, against Americans, against all of us, it is in full swing. And they're making sure that everybody understands if you mess with us, we've got the biggest hammer and we'll use it against you. Steve, when are you going to be back in our neck of the woods? Any idea? Uh, no, I, I don't have plans of when I'm going to be back in the Louisiana, Texas area. Uh, <laughs> although having said that, I got a call on Sunday saying that they may uh, bring me back down to shoot for another segment on the um, uh, the documentary that I was working on there in East Texas. So they may bring me back down. And if that happens, it could be, you know, it could be tomorrow, but I don't, it's yeah. not on the schedule yet. So I don't know. Well, please let us know. And just so you know, this, this morning I had a cup of coffee with a <laughs> fresh Marianne made homemade yeah. cinnamon roll. <laughs> she loves, she loves 
to do that for you when you come to town. So make sure I know in time to get her uh, set up to make you a cinnamon roll. I will do that for sure. Thank you, buddy. Keep us posted. Anything new, let us know. And we appreciate all you're doing up there. Thanks, Dan. Steve Baker. Brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads. Quieter brake pads. Longer life brake pads. And performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need. So you can get the job done right. Get in the zone. AutoZone. You do your thing. And you do it well. Now... It's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. We got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza. And we gift wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. Get a Little Caesars large bacon wrapped deep, deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not going to cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. <laughs> movies, right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup. Like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone. Or the not-so-compact, compact SUV, the Tiguan. And the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. By the way, those of you that tuned in late did not get to hear the whole back and forth with Steve Baker a minute ago. Don't forget that right after this show ends every day, it becomes a podcast and it's hosted at any one of over 60 podcast sites. The show name is TNN Live. And if you go to Apple or Google or Stitcher or TuneIn, any one of them, Spotify, all of them, you just put TNN Live in your search bar and you can go grab that whole interview. Um, every week when Steve comes in here, we get a bunch of context of a lot of things that are going on. And because of the contacts that he has that are different from the contacts that we have here, you get different perspectives. And you, you're able to throw it all into a bucket and come up with some real clear facts to base your opinions on. And that's something we don't have enough of. And it looks like every day, every week, it seems like we're going to lose another conservative voice over here or over there. I mean, just Tucker Carlson and Dan Bongino leaving Fox News, that makes a big hole that's empty right now. It's empty, and it's something that we need to fill with a really good news source or two that gives us facts. 
There's other Speaker McCarthy news this morning besides the debt limit thing. Today is the drop-dead date for Christopher Wray, FBI director, to provide that document that alleges potential wrongdoing by President Joe Biden. Today is the day. McCarthy said, let me tell Director Christopher Wray right here, right now, if he misses the deadline today, I'm prepared to move contempt charges in Congress against him. We have jurisdiction over this. That's Kevin McCarthy. He can send us the document. We have a right to look at that. Republicans and Democrats alike in that committee. And if he doesn't follow through with the law, we'll move contempt charges against him and the FBI. They are not above the law. This House Oversight and Government Accountability Committee, led by Chairman James Comer of Kentucky, they have requested again and again to the FBI to produce what's called an FD-1023. That's the document which details an interview with the source. And here's the big conundrum. This particular document is not classified. So anybody has the right to see it. And so far, Christopher Ray, director of the FBI, he will not give that document up. So what's in the document? Well, there's a source that told everybody about it, told the FBI officials that Biden was involved in a $5 million bribery scheme when he was vice president. And Comer set a May 30th deadline for the FBI to produce the document. We've asked the FBI not only provide this record, but to also inform us what it did to investigate the allegations contained in this letter. The FBI, Comer said, has failed to do both. The FBI's position is trust, but you aren't allowed to verify. That is unacceptable. This committee, the Oversight Committee, is conducting a wide range of investigations into the Biden family's business dealings. During his vice presidency, Joe Biden, members of his family formed a series of limited liability corporations to conduct business with foreign nationals. Republicans on the committee allege that during a May 10th press conference, those companies received more than $10 million in payments. That's factual. It's uncontroverted. That's been going on. Well, did you hear about what happened down in the Caribbean over the weekend? There's a brand new video that shows panic aboard a boat in the Bahamas just minutes after a Louisiana star baseball player from University High School down in Baton Rouge, 18 years old, he jumped off the ship on a dare. Cameron Robbins is his name, age 18, a star baseball player and a graduate of University High in Baton Rouge and on a graduation senior trip to Nassau in the Bahamas. Those graduating seniors had only arrived to Bahamas hours before Robbins acted on a dare and jumped off the ship during a sunset cruise. The U.S. Coast Guard officially has called off the search for Robbins. Sadly, it looks like he's not going to make it. Footage shows Cameron Robbins splashing in the vast ocean waters with no life jacket on, dressed only in swim trunks. As many of his fellow classmates are in shock while others are yelling in hysterics. 
But video showed Robbins, who was a few feet away from the boat, suddenly drifting in the other direction and away from the buoy before he disappears in the darkness. It happened at night. They called off the search for Robbins over the weekend. That's another tragedy, one that did not have to happen. Like, did you hear about two two two-year-olds? You know, we talked at the top of the show today about the shootings that happened over the weekend in Chicago. Two of those were two-year-olds that were shot hours apart. Wounded, both of them, in separate shootings that occurred just hours apart. Chicago PD confirmed that a two-year-old girl found a gun, accidentally discharged it, hit herself in the right hand after 6 o'clock in Rogers Park. Police said the little girl was taken to Francis Hospital in Evanston's in good condition. And then the boy, he was struck in the hand and was taken to Christ Medical Center in Oaklawn where he was in fair condition. Look, guns don't shoot themselves. Guns are not evil. Guns shoot only where they're in the hands of other people. And the people shoot them. Two two-year-olds have access to guns? It's not the guns. It's the fact that there was access to those guns that meant the people that owned those guns were not taking care of them. That needs to stop, and people need to be held accountable for anything they do like that that endangers two two-year-old people in Chicago. Let's circle back just for a second and talk about that uh, involvement with the Biden family syndicate, Chinese nationals, lots of money changing hands. There's a lot of information that's hanging out there. Mainstream media does not like to cover it because it's negative to the president and about the president and his family members. Newly revealed text messages from 2018 show Joe Biden may have been tied directly to Chinese business deals involving his son Hunter and brother Jim. It all starts with Hunter admitting he could go bankrupt and complaining about the lack of help from family members, including his stepmother, Jill Biden. Hunter venting about Jill says, you do know the drunkest I've ever been is still smarter than you could ever even comprehend, and you're an expletive grammar teacher that wouldn't survive one class in an Ivy graduate program. So go blank yourself, Jill. Let's all agree, I don't like you any more than you like me. Jim then replied, Jim, uh, this can work. You need a safe harbor. I can work with your father alone. We, as usual, just need several months of his help for this to work. Doug Collins was the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee and an Iraq war veteran. He joins us now. How entertaining is that, Doug? And I mean, what do you think? With all of this that keeps coming out, do you think the left is finally going to admit that at least maybe, just maybe, Joe Biden had something to do with the Biden family business dealings? 
Uh, I don't think we could ever get that uh, lucky here. I don't think they're ever going to decide that he did anything because they've just totally turned their uh, back on it. I mean, after so much smoke, after everything that keeps going on, every time we turn around, a new text message, a new email, something linking Joe Biden in, in different times to the family business, um, when is it going to be time for a, an independent Department of Justice to simply say, look, we can no longer put up the charade of not investigating you know, fully this and putting it out there in the public? I, I think this is the thing that bothers most people because the more this keeps coming out, the more it looks like there's two sets of, of scales in this uh, country, one for the Biden family right now and one for everybody else. Boy, it's going to be real tough for Joe to say he didn't know now when that's coming out, but mm. I want to put on a little detective prosecutor hat here. To me, the context, I'm broke, combined with the backlash, the, the outrage that he shows toward Jill Biden, sort of this lashing out, seems to put a picture out there of somebody who's extremely desperate and will do whatever it takes yeah. to get money and get money quickly. Is that your take? Well, it, it's that been that way the whole time. I mean, Hunter Biden has been sort of just a loose cannon as you look at these pictures. I mean, who else would put pictures like he's had on the Internet with, with prostitutes, with drugs, with guns that he, uh, you know, uh, falsely obtained? You know, things like this that are continual uh, going on. And he is desperate. And this has been the liability for this whole situation the whole time. And now there's, uh, you know, Congressman Comer and many others have laid out the money trail coming. You know, why? Where's the business here? Nobody, you know, that's the thing that the left seems to just overlook. Why were all of a sudden they just giving money? Money to the Biden family. What was the business deal being offered here? And and I think that's the problem that, that people have. Yes, there's desperation here. When you're desperate, and especially when it comes to a family member, you're willing to do things for a family member, especially one like Hunter, who has so much problem that you know you're it's hard for the families to deal with him, and especially with one that had access to power like he did. Yeah, I mean, let's all just not forget, you know, before we move on to the next topic, that um, they, his family would not be in this situation without him because he was the vice president at the time. Uh, but now, go. switching gears to Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, they're both headed to Iowa this week. Uh, an Emerson poll from last week shows Trump leading DeSantis in Iowa by 42 percentage points. So how do you think this is all shaping up? I mean, that's a pretty big difference in in the poll numbers so far, Doug. It is. I think when you see him going both to Iowa, I think this is uh, the former president, Donald Trump. He's, he's just commanding his lead. He's going out there. He's saying, look, I'll go wherever you go. I'm going to take uh, and, and build on this lead where I can. The, the pressure really is on Ron DeSantis. The, the pressure, it would be, I think, for him to go out and show that he can cut into that lead. And if, and if you don't see that lead going down over the next few weeks after he's now officially got in, um, I think then his team has to reassess you know, where they're at and how they're going to make a dent in Donald Trump's popularity. You'll see a, probably a lot of this going on back and forth in the next few weeks. The question will be is will it make a difference? Right? You know, Donald Trump's the front runner by far. The question is not on Donald Trump keeping that lead, which, he, which he's going to try and do. The question is, can uh, Ron DeSantis, along with others who jumped in the race, begin to chip into that lead? And everybody sees Iowa's a chance to dethrone Trump because he didn't do so well in Iowa the first time. But nevertheless, right. he won the nomination mm -hmm. and he won the election. It's going to be interesting to watch what plays out between DeSantis and Donald Trump in the primaries and all of the, the garbage that is hanging out there regarding lawsuits and criminal charges against Donald Trump. Some of that stuff's going to be adjudicated right in the middle of the primary season. So we're going to have to watch that. A wealthy group of organizations with a history of backing left-wing causes of every kind. They're joining forces with a new worldwide group of researchers, and you know what they're about? 
They're going to combat online misinformation. It's called the IPIE, International Panel on the Information Environment. They convened in D.C. for its first official meeting last week, bringing together over 200 researchers from 55 countries to focus on the decline of public comprehension and confidence in science. Now, this is according to the New York Times. Of course, we believe it because the Times printed it. It's partnered with groups like the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, and the Skoll Foundation. Many of IPI's backers have a history of bankrolling left-wing groups and left-wing causes. The Ford Foundation supported the launching of the Black Feminist Fund back in 2021 with $15 million in seed funding. The Ford Foundation contributed over $4 million in 2010 to Media Matters for America, a left-wing media watchdog. They described themselves as dedicated to comprehensively monitoring, analyzing, and correcting conservative misinformation. Rockefeller Brothers Fund invested a half million bucks in anti-Israel organizations like Jewish Voices for Peace, Zokrat and the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. The Skoll Foundation has a global threats fund that invests in efforts to prevent climate change, stating it requires urgent attention. The researchers in the IPI were inspired by the tactics of the U.N. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and feel online misinformation is analogous to the risk posed by global warming. That's according to the New York Times. Just when you think the left can't get more egregious, they find ways to get more egregious. Oh my gosh, we're just getting started for the week. You guys have a great Monday. Back at 9 a.m. Central Time Sharp tomorrow. We'll pick it up then. See you tomorrow. Mysterious way in the course of a lifetime.